Welcome home. We are WNST, AM 1570, Towson, Baltimore. At Baltimore Positive, uh, I'm going to talk about the Crab Cake Tour and giving away uh, 10 times the cash. And John Martin's going to come on later. I got big jackpots right now. Huge, huge, as they say uh, when I'm listening to the FM stations around town. We're going to be getting uh, back out on the road, having some fun, having some conversations. I'm planning on doing a live thing uh, on Fridays before Oriole games. So we're just putting a bunch of ideas together. It is sort of the slow, icky time of sports where I've been doing this 32 years now professionally, where I'd say about 28 of them. I, I have disappeared sometime on or around Valentine's Day, usually with my wife the last two decades to go do something exotic or not, just some to something that's warmer than this. Um, but this year I've been building and watching spring training and thinking about the new day of Orioles baseball and um, and really kind of having some fun with the success of Baltimore sports. And uh, as much as people think I hate the teams around here, oh, no, au contraire, I sort of built the thing because I love when things get active and things feel active. And certainly social media timeline, when I've been out around town, uh, I did the Leukemia Lymphoma Society Student Visionary of the Year. Where it's, a, it's a mouthful. Um, and a big thanks to Whiting Turner and our friends uh, out of Whiting Turner, if you know those folks, because they really stepped up, uh, raised about 800 grand in a night uh, for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society folks. So we had a big weekend, but really all of it's a backdrop. And I'm wearing my Curio orange uh, and black. And we've seen the debates about the TJ Maxx Marshalls uniforms and the see-through uniforms and all that stuff. But I wanted to bring Luke hmm. in because Luke wants to get serious about all this, not shaky cameras or how much opening day tickets are, or, you know, whether we're going to get World Series tickets. But really, uh, I'm intrigued as a fan because that's all I am at this point. I mean, nothing more. Um, maybe one day soon I'll be a media member and talk to Jackson Holiday and have things to talk about with these young people who I find to be um, a little reserved, but also not in regard to baseball. They like talking about spin rate. They like talking about the game. They like talking about situational things in regard to baseball, at least from my mass and I view. But th th who's going to be on this team? And when I see Jackson Holiday and I see Colton Cowser and I see Jordan Westberg and I see, you know, I just go through all of this. And then the top of it has been the same outfield for a long time. We know who the catcher is. And then, I, dude, I brought Rick Emmett from Triumph on last week, Luke, and he didn't want to talk about his band or his book. He wanted to talk about Adley Rutschman. He said, I love that catcher, mm -hmm. you know. So this is a rock star in another country talking about our baseball team, and it's February. And um, I, I think a, a guy like you has waited a long time to talk about roster makeup on a 101-win team searching its second, you know, chance at – glory in October that this there's a lot of script to be written here. You're going to be doing a lot of writing at a Baltimore positive about this team. Yeah, no question about it. I, I think what's interesting though, is now the injury to Kyle Bradish and finding out that John means is behind, you know, but because stemming back from the elbow soreness he had uh, that took him out of play in the division series and they just kind of shut him down. And we know he's not going to be ready for spring training, but, or for opening day, but he's, you know, it's not an injury. It's just he's behind. Uh, but, you know, b beyond that, before that, it didn't feel like there was a ton of roster decisions to be made beyond a bench spot or two, beyond a couple spots in the bullpen. But obviously, and as I wrote at BaltimorePositive.com late last week, you know, the trickle down impact of the Kyle Bradish 
situation, injury, however you want to characterize it, right? Because we just don't know right now. We know what an elbow injury typically means. We know what it means, at least for the start of spring. So we'll go off of that. You know, what does that mean for their rotation? What does that mean for the bullpen? I mean, you know, Tyler Wells, I think, is kind of penciled in now into the number four spot in the rotation. Cole Irvin, as you and I talked about in a previous conversation, good spring debut for him in Bradenton against the Pirates, throwing the ball hard, but it's Cole Irvin. I, I think there was much more of a thought of being excited about him being your long man, swing guy out of the pen. If you need a spot start for a doubleheader or something along those lines, he'd be your guy. Well, now you're looking at him as your number five starter, at least to start the year. So you know, it's, there's disappointment there in, in terms of what the rotation could have looked like, what it looks like now, and what you're hoping it'll look like, but still so much unknown there. But, you know, you, you look at the roster, their starting nine is basically decided. I mean, I guess the, the, the question is, okay, what's it look like if there's a left-handed starter? Because that takes Ryan O'Hearn out of play and puts him on the bench. Uh, but we think most nights to see Mount Castle and O'Hearn first base DH or vice versa against a right-handed starter. Again, that's the start, right? That's the beginning of the season. This time last year, we weren't even talking about Ryan O'Hearn. We were laughing about you know, updates about guys like Ryan O'Hearn, and you look at what he ended up doing. Another example of someone that they did some work with to try to quote-unquote fix, you know, after a, a disappointing start to his career and, you know, not really figuring it out in Kansas City. So, you know, you, you never really know on that front, but you know, I, I think it's very simple, you know, just to, you know, as you mentioned, the roster, roster construction at this point in time, you know, the two two big areas that really stand out for me beyond the Jackson holiday question that everyone's talking about right now. And in late February, frankly, we just, we don't know. He's got to, we got to see how he performs over the course of the next month, but backup outfielders and bullpen. You know, how are you filling out your bullpen? It's, and it's, you know, for me, the bullpen is less exciting in terms of discussing it because, you know, you're talking about filling out the back end. We know Craig Kimbrell is going to be the closer. We know Yenier Cano is going to be a setup, man. We, you know, the Orioles are hoping Danny Coulomb can duplicate what he did last year as a really solid, strong left-handed reliever who defended himself well against right-handed hitters as well. So, you go down the list. I mean, you hope Dylan Tate can be what he was two years ago, but I have big questions there. But, you know, rotation looks basically set, barring health concerns, which are always there for any team. Starting nine mostly looks set, but bullpen. And then for me, and when we talked about this, we touched on it briefly in our previous conversation, uh, but What's the outfield going to look like in a big picture sense? Because you have your three starters. They're going to be the three starters on opening day, barring any injuries. No questions there. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But in a big picture sense, Santander is going to be a free agent. Hayes and Mullins are now a year away from free. You know, they have one more year after this year. Hayes and Mullins have had either injuries or, in Hayes's case, last year, just kind of wore down in the second half. So... What does that mean in a big picture sense? I mean, I'll say this. Do I look at, for as much as we're going to talk about new ownership and the potential for contract extensions? I'm not sure Anthony Santander, Cedric Mullins, or Austin Hayes are guys that are going to fit that description beyond 
you know, maybe a modest extension or something like that. I mean, you're certainly not going to be investing big long-term money in them. So what do, what does this look like? You know, is Colton Cowser on the opening day roster? Is Heston Kerstad on the opening day roster? We mentioned Kyle Stowers in passing. I'm guessing not after a really rough year for him, but can he put himself back in that conversation? Where does Jorge Mateo fit into the outfield reserve depth chart just in terms of can he be a backup center fielder for you just to enhance his versatility? So, you know, these aren't these aren't major headline grabbing kind of ideas uh, as it pertains to the big picture for 2024, but they are still important questions for the organization and especially for the long-term future for the organization. You know, I'd, I'd be remiss and you, and you alluded to this, but y- you look at the depth that they have at some of these spots. We've talked about this a lot with the infield and we've since seen Joey Ortiz traded in that Corbin Burns deal. But, you know, one of those names I just mentioned, does someone get moved? for a pitcher. I mean, it's, that's, what's so exciting. Yeah. You have some of these questions, but you have a farm system that has graduated guys already is going to graduate Jackson holiday, either on opening day or late April, May, what June at the latest, barring something really strange uh, and something unforeseen. And you still have it widely regarded as the number one farm system in baseball. And you still have, really interesting guys on the way, you know, that are going to be here in the next year or two. I haven't even mentioned someone like a Kobe Mayo or a Connor Norby, uh, guys that, you know, are, are, are certainly individuals who have an exciting future, you know, guys that could really factor into this team, especially in the case of Mayo with really impressive power. So it's really exciting just from the standpoint of, I think back to the Duquette era or even go back way longer than that. You know, you, you made mention, uh, you know, you talked about in a previous conversation, talking about a Jamie Moyer type or different prospects that they had and what player development was 30 years ago compared to what it is now. And obviously it's changed across the board in baseball, but, you know, the Orioles it, it, for decades upon decades, even preceding the Peter Angelos, you know, uh, regime, they would have a prospect and you would say, okay, this guy's the savior, you know, the Rocky Coppinger or you know whoever it is if we talk about someone in these terms of they have to make it because there's no one else right there's no one else in the pipeline I mean Dylan Bundy back in like 2012 and you know Dylan Bundy and, was hurt and and in my era of Oriole way baseball it was always Earl Weaver trying to get one more guy from the farm system on the team. Yeah. This year it's going to be Dower. Next year it's going to be Murray. The next year it's going to be Bodic. Like it was always like just trying to get one more established player that could stay for four or five years. And then even mm-hmm. into the 80s when it fell apart and they were buying players, there was always a Craig Worthington, a Kent Gerhard, guys that made it and other guys that didn't <laughs> make it, right? Yeah. We've had an error here where we've just had a whole lot of not making it, right? And we had a whole era mm-hmm. of first-round draft picks that never made it, never heard from, like the whole totality of the last 30 years. That I don't know where to go with what we have here because I'm paying attention to box scores a little bit because I just want to see what they're doing. Like, what what, yeah. what do we expect in the spring, and what does Holiday need to do, and what do we need to see from Kimbrel to feel like, 
he's okay because you're not going to see the same thing out of a 30 something relief pitcher as you're going to see out of Mayo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're just, you're right. getting different levels of effort in some cases, but also out of the Rutschmans and Hendersons, these guys that haven't experienced a whole lot of this, they're going to be ready to play. And for, and they are, they're sure. young, they're excited to your point. A lot of guys with a lot of money. I mean, Corbin Burns comes in here, like you make a lot of money. And, and this team can do a lot of great things over the next couple of years. And they get the Calvary coming over the hill with ownership coming. I, I But this month, month and a half of getting ready right now is unlike anything we've ever experienced here because never had a young team, never come off a division. Like it's all new water for me as a guy that's been doing this for 32 years, man. Yeah. And, and I think, I don't think it was. It's drastically different from last year. I think there was a lot of optimism last year, but last year there was more of a sense of was the second half of 22 real? You know, have they arrived, or was that a little bit of a, a false alarm? And they're still, you know, certainly on the come, but not in this position where they're going to win 101 games. You know, I don't think anyone was thinking 101 wins last February, right? There was there was the thought of, this team's got a good chance to make the playoffs. I, I think that's where people kind of were at this point. Now it's a case of, you better make the playoffs, and it's a case of, what are you doing? How are you shaping this roster? Who's developing? What's going to happen with the starting pitching, especially now with Bradish and just the unknown that... Why would you say the lights gonna... are on? The lights are on now. You're yeah. on Broadway now, and that's all the more they shouldn't have shaky cameras to start their spring sure. training. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Like, yeah, literally, yeah. like, you, you know what I mean? You want to be... You, you're, you're the best team in the sport. Wear the suit. Play the yeah. role. You know, be the best. Serve your fans the best. Serve your mm -hmm. media the best. Serve your community the best. So, the best of everything, right? Like, that's what Rubenstein's going to come in here and start to talk about. But on the baseball side, you know, I don't know what I expected them to do. I mean, they they went out and got a one. Their former one's arm may be falling off. We knew the mm -hmm. relief pitcher wasn't coming back, and they replaced that. We know the pipeline's so crazy rich to expect them to shed payroll of a Mullins or, you know, to, to try to move somebody to make room for a might be. We're not in that era right now. We're in no. the, like, what's going to be, who's going to be a pile diver on November 2nd, whenever they play game six of the world series. Um, and that's just a different kind of conversation. Luke, come on, dude, you've been here 15 years. We've had optimism yeah. and this and that, and you know, the big bad Yankees and the Red Sox and the blue Jays. I mean, Competed with all of them. I, I don't, I put MLB network on and I don't, I'm, I'm, it's getting cocky. Like who's coming to get us because we're not going to be a wild card. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like how could they possibly not win the American league East? Dude, I've never had that conversation. Not even when they were good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where you know, the Bradish injury was disappointing because before that, you know, post getting Corbin Burns and before, Mike Elias revealing Bradish's elbow. I mean, you're looking at that rotation and saying, my goodness. I mean, when was the last time the Orioles on paper had a rotation that looked like this? I mean, talking about a really long time. So, yeah, but, you know, even with the Bradish injury, and let's assume for a moment, and it's not like we're making a major leap here, and I don't want to say that this is going to happen, but we know how these elbow injuries typically work. Let's assume that he's not pitching this year. Uh, does that you always their... have this dark thing whenever we talk no, and they not. always have this bright like well maybe and i'm thinking to myself probably not you know no, uh, I, i'm on the hey, journalist I... side on this one because you're 
you, you put him, if you had to I'm, bet on it right now, if you had to bet money on it, right? I mean, I'm sure maybe you can call, call, call Hollywood. Casino. You probably can. You probably can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can bet on it right now, you would bet against it. I can I tell mean, you, based on you your... kind of have to. I mean, you kind of have. And look, I, I also pointed out Aaron Nola had a, a UCL injury late in 2016, and he's thrown, I, I think it's 160 plus innings every full baseball season since then. Uh, you know, Zach. Gallons avoided Tommy John. Uh, Masahiro Tanaka famously uh, avoided Tommy John and pitched for years successfully for the Yankees. So there are success stories, but for every success story of avoiding Tommy John, and I don't just mean avoiding it and, well, you can pitch, avoiding it and pitching well and not having diminished stuff and being a lesser pitcher and being on and off the injured list. For every success story of someone who avoids that and PRP and rehab, works then you have more guys who inevitably they're 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 getting tommy john surgery at some point or they have a situation and this is where let's be clear this is why it's worth going a conservative approach tommy john surgery is not fail proof it's not a 100 percent safe free of risk endeavor that's why you know when i hear people say well he should get the tommy john surgery now that way he's not missing so much time next year i love these fans dealing with people's bodies my knee hurts right now like i don't even know what to do about it i certainly wouldn't want the internet talking about it right right well but but at the same time (laughs) no one's paying you to run around with with your knee right i've been kicking a lot of ass with this knee luke for a long time it's about time it gave out you know but the point is that i want to remind everyone of is with Tommy John surgery, as much as we think of, yes, it's highly successful. And, and Dr. Job way back when, when, when this thing was invented and Tommy John resumed his career and, uh, and, and we think about what that meant for 45 years of baseball and, and how it changed pitchers who back in Jim Palmer's day, when someone blew out their elbow, guess what happened? They went away. They didn't pitch anymore. Uh, that's why, you know, we, we kind of think about this in terms of Oh, all these pitchers break down now. Pitchers have always broken down. It's just back then when it happened, they just disappeared, right? You never talked about them again, and they were forgotten in 20 years. Uh, but you know, the point with with Kyle Bradish or with any pitcher who's in this case, clearly it's not this major UCL tear. It's not like he ruptured it. He didn't snap it like a rubber band, or he wouldn't be doing what he's doing right now. It's a smaller tear. Uh, you see if PRP. Uh, injection works. You see if rest works. You see if rehab works. He's go- He's done that. Now he's going through a throwing progression and you see what happens here. But the, the truth is, and this is why you'll gamble and someone would say, well, Luke, if he gets the Tommy John surgery right now, that chances are he can come back relatively early in 2025. And I don't disagree with that. However, you are, as a pitcher, this is your livelihood. Kyle Bradish has not made any money yet uh, at this point in his career relative to what baseball money is. That's why I felt uh, bad about Batista, bro. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. But the point is you'll risk a couple months potentially on the back end of a Tommy John rehab if you can inv- avoid it entirely. And when I say that, meaning you can avoid it and resume your career and be fine, like Aaron Nola has. Aaron Nola, eight years later, is one of the best pitchers in the National League. Just got a lucrative extension with the Phillies. Uh, So because there are examples of guys who don't come back from Tommy John surgery. I mean, look at John Means, who I'm not saying will not come back and pitch effectively. But John Means, he's coming up on close to two years. He's made four major league starts since he had Tommy John surgery in April of 2022 and is still dealing with 
don't want to say complications, but soreness, right? And we've seen examples of guys that come back and are never the same. It's a high return rate. Look, I'm not saying that if Tommy John surgery is a career-ending thing for most guys, it's not. But it's not 100% that you come back and everything's going to be fine. So with that assumption, yeah, if you have a chance to try a more conservative approach, you do that. Now, you run the risk, and I'll, I don't want to focus too much on Bradish because there's other guys we can talk about, but you do run the risk at some point that you're going so far down the timeline that you don't want to cost yourself all of next year too. So yeah, you get to a point where he's going to have to try this, and he will. He'll start throwing, assuming his elbow continues to, to respond well and he's not feeling any pain, he'll start throwing some bullpens. And if that's good, guess what happens next? Sim games. And he'll do that. And if that works in April, maybe he'll start making some rehab starts and you see how that works. The Orioles would love, Orioles fans would love, Kyle Bradish would all love if he can get to that point and he's feeling good because the longer he goes throwing and he's feeling okay, that increases the probability, you know, to go back to what you asked me as far as whether I'm betting for or against it right now. If he's throwing minor league games in April and the VLO is good and he's recovering well, then I'll feel way better about his chances than I do right now, just knowing, yeah, he's dealing with a UCL sprain. So, but it's the time of year where you're going to, you know, you're figuring that stuff out. As I said to you last last week or the week before, I guess it was, you know, the beginning of spring training, you know what, as much as there's excitement and hope springs eternal, it's a really nerve wracking time for an organization, especially for pitchers. It's hold my breath time because... All those innings a guy threw last year and career career highs for Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez and Dean Kramer and all these guys, uh, younger guys. Spring training is usually when health concerns show up, the beginning of spring training. Well, dude, so you, you hold your sit breath. sit out there and watch these guys tackle each other out. You know, it's 100-degree days, you know, at it's West Minster 25 years ago, right? And, you know, that, that they do less of it now and guys still mm-hmm. – you, you know, Dennis Pittett goes down in a heap non-contact. I mean, all these weird things happen, right? Uh, that that wreck careers, wreck rosters, wreck dreams and hopes, and put Lamar in bubble wrap for the yeah. next six months and break him back out again. Um, but on the baseball side, it's you know buses back and forth and fielding ground balls and taking a ground ball to the crotch and you know swinging <laughs> a batting cage and something gets wrong or I ran the air condition wrong or like crazy stuff happens in spring training let alone fishing trips that end with tragedy right we don't want anything crazy sure. happening but i mean it, it is a time where these young guys go down and you know i was a young guy once too you know back in the day get loose over at shooters in fort lauderdale and you know what i'm talking about but um i, I would just say there's there's a seriousness for this organization to your point from the minute they get there and they walk in and their pictures are being taken and um, the cameras are on because it's a big television show now for all of it um, for holiday. Where, where are you with what you see from him, what needs to be done with him? And when we talk about guys that I interviewed his father 25 years ago, right? Like his dad was a hell of a player and he's got this gym and this ranch and this cage and he's a, 24 hour a day baseball machine. Um, I, we've been through this with Rutschman. We've been through this with Weeders and other, you know, other guys where there's a lot of expectation. Markakis maybe less so and Adam Jones in that era, but this guy's got like another otherworldly level of 
Adley, you know, Weeders kind of more so than even Henderson, who kind of came on. He's 19. Let's see. And now he's going to be the one that gets all the money. Holiday may say not so fast, but what's going to get him in the lineup every day? And give me the lineup shuffle as that happens. Well, I mean, I, I think, first of all, it's really exciting. I mean, my goodness, we're still talking about someone who uh, I don't think can have his first legal beer until I think it's, what, December? You know, I think it's December, early December, I think he, he turns 21. He is 20. He's 20. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. So Adley Rutschman's really not the appropriate comp. Gunnar Henderson's not even really the appropriate. I mean, it, you kind of go back to Manny Machado, right? And you think about that, even through that lens, the Orioles are at a different point. Machado wasn't. No one was talking about him at the beginning of 2012 that he was going to be in the majors. I mean, he was, I think he began that year at single A, right? I mean, he, he worked his way up to double A and then and he was the called team up. didn't have playoff, like Buck well, could no, talk playoffs, but like, you know. They did right? halfway through the year, but even that was not a case that Manny Machado was viewed as a complete, finished, polished prospect ready to play in the majors. If we all recall that was out of need. They needed a third baseman. They they had Wilson Bedemy booting the ball around left and right. He couldn't couldn't pick up the ball as a third baseman. And they thought, hey, you know what? This Machado kid, okay, the bat's not entirely ready, but he's such a good defender, and we think he can play third base. We think he can hold his own, you know, even if he can hit 230, 240, whatever, he's going to play gold glove caliber defense. And that's going to give us a heck of a left side of the infield. That's why they did that. And he got called up in August, right? This is different than that because Jackson holiday had. Also, they felt like having him around Nelson Cruz and some other guys would be a good idea. Sure. Well, Cruz wasn't, Cruz wasn't there that, but you're right. JJ Hardy, Nick Markakis, Adam Jones. Absolutely. No question about that. And and that that's where something like that, they viewed that through a lens of it'll work. And I think even though the Orioles don't have those veteran types to that degree on their current roster, Adley Rutschman's in his mid-20s, right? I mean, Anthony Santander has been around. Austin Hayes has been around. Cedric Mullins, they've been around. You know, they've experienced a lot of losing. They've experienced a lot of the lows, which generally is kind of what you want guys to, you know, at least be exposed to because handling failure is a big part of baseball, more so than any other sport probably. So through that lens, I think they feel okay. But you know, a couple of things for Jackson Holiday. One, I want to remind everyone, he is just 20 years old. So th- that's part of this. Two, while he was impressive at AAA last year, he didn't put up ungodly numbers in what was a small, relatively small number of plate appearances. So, you know, is he at a point in his minor league career where he has nothing left to prove. I would disagree with that sentiment in the way that, you know, you looked at an Adley Rutschman or you look at you know, someone like Colton Kowser right now, you know, who raked at triple A. I'm not really sure what else he can prove at triple A, which is weird to say that because he's not thought of in the same way that Jackson holiday is thought of obviously. Uh, but you know, so you look at that, but the big one and this to me, and we saw this on Saturday, can he play second base? I think the reality is for him, He's going to play some shortstop, don't get me wrong, and that still may end up even being his long-term position. I don't know how it's going to shake out entirely there. But I think it's very clear in the same way that Gunnar Henderson had to play short and third, they are going to want to see Jackson Holiday play a lot of second base because I think in a natural alignment, if you're all things working perfectly and everyone's healthy and everyone's developing and ready to go, you know, I, I kind of look at this Orioles infield of, you know, Jordan Westberg at third, Gunnar Henderson at short, 
Jackson Holiday at second. Now, you could flip, you know, you could you could move those positions around a little bit. You could put Jackson Holiday at short. You could put Gunnar Henderson at third. And Jordan Westberg, we've seen play a lot of second base as well. But I think the alignment that they're at least imag- imagining, if we're talking about a Jackson Holiday in the major leagues and obviously in the everyday lineup, is probably going to be him playing a good bit of second base. So, you know, he's got to prove that. He, on average last year, yeah, you know, I, I, someone broke it down. I, I think I saw, you know, I can't remember if it was the Masson broadcast or I was watching MLB Network or whatever it was. On average, he played second base about once per week last year in the minor leagues. Now, do I think a shortstop can play second base? Of course, we've seen that happen plenty of times. I mean, Jonathan Scope was by trade a shortstop and we saw him become a really good second baseman. So, you know, it, it's not, not unheard of it's really not all that weird but it's just something else to add on the plate of a 20 year old so that's where i just want to remind everyone about this that look i think there's a really i don't know what the percent would be but it's a good chance that he's on the opening day roster and even if he's not i think there's a good chance he's going to be in baltimore very early in the season but one how's he going to handle going up against some major league pitching you know that's still new for him uh, and two, how's he going to handle this transition uh, going to second base? And, you know, I, I think it's one of those deals where it's a lot of a lot, quite frankly. Yeah, there, that's, that's a lot of that's a lot of learning on the job. And that's not to say he can't it was do a big it or deal he for Cal Ripken to move, you know, 15 years in. Right. And he was Cal Ripken. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So and, and look, the fact that we're this is not to cast doubt on him. The fact that we're having this conversation speaks to what kind of talent they think they have in Jackson Holiday. Same as Machado. Let's just get him yeah. up here. We'll, we'll, he can play. Right. He'll play wherever we put him because he's a ball right. player. Sure, sure. But at the same time, if you do think, and this is where we go back to how the Orioles have approached, how Mike Elias has approached player development. For the most part, they have been methodical with guys, but Jackson Holiday felt like the exception last year. I mean, look at where he was at the beginning of last, last season. He wasn't at Norfolk in April, right? He was at Norfolk at the very end of the season. He was in Bowie and he was in Aberdeen and Delmarva. I mean, like that's, that's where it was for him. I mean, he, he demolished every level he got to until triple a and triple a, he more than held his own, you know, he didn't put up a a thousand OPS, but uh, it was an OPS right over, I think just under 800. And he walked as much as he struck out. Uh, I mean, for a 20-year-old, 19-year-old, he wasn't even 20 yet, a 19-year-old to do that at the end of his first full professional season at AAA, boy, that's exciting. I mean, that is, that's an exciting, not just for the Orioles, that's an exciting baseball prospect for any team to do something like that. So that's where you look at this thing and say, yeah, he's got a, he's got a chance. This is a, you know, fit, whether it's a 50-50 proposition, whatever it is. Uh, he's got a, a a very significant non-zero chance of being on the opening day roster. So there's excitement there, but he's got to check some boxes, right? I mean, if second base is a little more of an adjustment for him than you're hoping, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it might be a case of go play in AAA for a month and a half, right? I mean, I, I don't think it's hard to say that you're sandbagging with a guy when he's 20 years old, right? I mean, as much as we know every team does this, to, to some degree with service time and things of that nature. It, it, it's hard to say, well, they're, they're trying to manipulate his service time when he's 20 years old. Right. I mean, and, and he's not even close to being 20. He's not going to be 21 until well, after the season. I mean, if he's sitting so, 380, uh, you know, but if he's sitting well, yeah, 42 but, in spring training and 32 at bats. You, and you that's my point. The, right. Right. And, and, and to be clear, 
even with some of the with some of the the service time stuff, keep in mind that's changed now with rookie of the year and, and uh, I mean Gunnar Henderson wins rookie of the year. You know, I mean that's the Adley Rutschman was second. He got a full year of service time, even though he didn't come up till late May. So you know, there there are guardrails in place there, and also there are incentives in place. Like a team like the Orioles, you have a guy win the rookie of the year, get a draft pick. You know, uh, in, in certain instances. So. So, so that's less of a thing now, but I really do think sincerely in the case of Jackson Holiday, just see how this is going to play out. As much as you don't want to put too much into spring training performance for him, and it's not even the numbers as much, Nestor, but process. What's the process look like for him? How comfortable does he look uh, at, at, at second base, turn into double play with the pivot? You know, how comfortable does he look? Uh, you know, going to his right and, and throwing, you know, a you know, jump throw from from near shallow center field. You know, how how comfortable is he looking when he goes up against some team's legitimate number two starter in Grapefruit League action? Uh, these these are these are all good things. You know, these are all good questions to ask right now. It's not an indictment on him if he's not quite ready, but it's a it's a case of let's see if he is ready because boy, the way he progressed last year. You know, he, he's not going to hit 300 right off the bat, most likely. I mean, we saw Gunnar Henderson struggle early last year. We saw Adley Rutschman struggle in uh, June of his rookie year, a big time before he took off. So, you know, there's going to be an adjustment for him. So that's not to say he's not going to have some failure, but what's it look like process-wise? You know, how comfortable does, does he look? He has a really, really impressive, mature approach at the plate in terms of taking pitches and drawing walks. How does that look? You know, at the same time, in the case of, you know, I mentioned Gunnar Henderson last year, early on, he was a little too patient at times to to his detriment. So, you know, these are the things a young player is going to figure out. So I think it's really, really exciting to even have this conversation. I mean, it's less than two years from being drafted out of high school. And we're talking about a, a kid who could be in the opening day lineup. I mean, it's a good time to be an Orioles fan. I'll put, I'll put it that way as it pertains to young players like Jackson Holiday. So we'll see how it plays out, you know. It, and if he's on the opening day roster, great. And if he's not, guess what? This is still an excellent team, even without him, as they proved last year. And if he's not there in late March, he'll be there in April or May or June. I mean, there's no question about that, barring an injury. So, you know, I, I think nothing but excitement with Jackson Holiday. But, yeah, he's got some boxes to check if he's ultimately going to be on the 26-day roster or 26-man roster on opening day. I don't know how they're going to beat the Angels if they're going to play with 60 guys like they had in the dugout the other day. That picture that was circulating, <laughs> circulating the internet. It's like what they did to, to lose Shohei Otani. Uh, we're into a new baseball season. I've been watching some MLB Network. Uh, my wife had the the Mets game on um, with a kid behind home plate yelling, let's go Mets on every pitch. Uh, they were playing the Astros. So uh, we thought blue ball was just such a great name uh, for a pitcher. So we were, we're back into like, you know, childish moronic jokes around here about baseball names. I sort of wish Chris Berman were coming back to sort of give some nicknames for like Matt holiday celebrate, you know, maybe I'll come up with some names around here uh, and have some fun for some of these guys. I do something with Craig Kimbrell as well. We'll talk some pitching later on. I do want to talk some football. Luke and I are going to be out at Baltimore positive all week long. You find us at WNST as well. I'm getting a crab cake tour back out on the road with our friends at the Maryland lottery in conjunction with window nation, eight, six, six, 90 nation, as well as Jiffy Lube Mall, 
Quality Care. We have a new sponsorship for Liberty Pure Solutions. Going to be talking about fresh water. And, of course, our friends at Curio Wellness um, are, are continuing this 25th anniversary thing where I'm going to have some fun with our 25th anniversary as we get into March and April. Um, I am re-releasing the book I wrote in 2006 of my love of baseball. People ask me, Aparicio, Luis, whatever. Luke, I've gone back to collecting some Louis Aparicio items. Uh, from the old days that I did not have in my collection. And I, I talked to Robbie Jr. about this over at the Robbie's First Base. So I got a little baseball on the brain. You saw me bust out my old school orange uh, Aparicio jersey that fits me, that's going to be real nice and polyester on a 103-degree day at Camden Yards when they're taking on the Royals in front of 38,000. And we're all drinking beer because it's the first day that the Rubenstein Group opens the I feel, it feels like a Wizard of Oz, like after the storm moment where like color TV will come in and we'll see little orange slippers. I don't know. I'm Nestor. He's Luke. We're going to talk some football back for more on WNSD. Stay with us.